Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. 19. A scalvert stone, asked Tandry, returning Viv's keys. They sat across from one another at the big table the following morning, long before Thimble was due. Tandry had unlocked the door and slipped inside in the wee hours, not that Viv had been asleep. As promised, she was recounting the meeting, and she omitted nothing. Ever heard of them? I haven't. I mean, I suppose I know what a scalvert is, mostly from children's stories. They're large and ugly and mean. Lots of eyes, more teeth than you'd like, hard to kill. And the queen of a hive grows a stone. Here, Viv tapped her forehead. And it's worth something. Not to most people, but I came across some legends. Heard it in a song first, if you can believe it. Viv fished the scrap of parchment from her pocket and slid it across to Tandry, who unfolded it and read. Her eyebrows rose. The ley lines. No wonder you twitched every time Hemington mentioned them. You noticed that, huh? Draws the ring of fortune, aspect of heart's desire. Tandry looked up at her. So it's, what, a good luck charm? A handful of long dead people thought so. I'm not sure that's exactly what they meant, but the idea comes up again and again. There's a lot of old mythology around the stones, but you don't hear about them much these days, probably because there aren't a lot of scalvert queens around and even fewer people willing to kill one. Well, you've certainly piqued my interest. Where does one hide a maybe magical luck stone? Viv rose from the bench, motioned for Tandry to do likewise, and slid the big table aside a few feet. She squatted, dug sand from around the flagstone, and pried it up and out with the ends of her fingers. She carefully scooped aside earth, revealing the stone, which glistened as though wet. Been here since the first day, said Viv. Tandry squatted to examine the stone. I have to say, my mental image was a little more spectacular. And you think it's responsible for all this? She gestured at the surrounding building. Viv thought it might be responsible for a lot more than the building, but didn't elaborate. I've had my doubts, but the Madrigal sure seems to think so. But she lets you leave. Why hasn't she already taken it? Tandry's expression was dubious. In fact, why aren't her men here right now tearing this place apart? Viv carefully set the flagstone back in place and brushed sand in around it. I'll get to that. She slid the table back into place, and they both sat again. You remember Fennis? Difficult to forget, and... She glanced at the scrap of verse on the table, brow furrowing as she thought back. It's obvious now that he knew you had it. Yep, and it sounds like he made sure the Madrigal knew, too. Why, though? Pure maliciousness? You left on terms that bad. Viv sighed. My guess is that I made a stupid mistake, telling him it was all I wanted from our last job, which I had a hand in finding in the first place. He was probably suspicious afterward and did a little digging of his own. He must have figured I was trying to cut them out of something big, or more importantly, cut him out. If he wants the stone, I don't understand why he'd tip off another interested party. Why confront me over it if he could leave that to someone I'm already striking sparks from? Just like him, honestly, to stand back and let someone else bleed. Maybe I'd panic and he'd catch me moving it, saving him the search. Failing that, it's always a good idea to let your enemies soften each other up first. Wait until the dust settles and poke through the ashes. 
Could be he gets what he wants without a hair out of place. All right, but that doesn't explain why the Madrigal hasn't taken it. Viv chuckled ruefully. Well, I can't be positive it's the only reason, but it sounds like he just rubbed her the wrong way. That's it? I mean, he is an enormous dick. I don't get the impression he's going to give up that easily, is he? Viv frowned. Definitely not. In fact, he's probably much more dangerous now. She glanced at the door and couldn't help imagining Fennis with his ear pressed to the keyhole. I'll take care of it, though. There was a long silence while Tandri tapped her lower lip, her tail making lazy loops. At length, she said, Setting that aside, what about the protection money? What about the Madrigal's little enforcer squad? Viv spread her hands. We came to an arrangement. Her idea. An arrangement? Well, there is going to be a payment of sorts. Weekly, in fact. Tandry's brow wrinkled in consternation. I guess she likes Thimble's cinnamon rolls. When Thimble arrived at his usual time, he was laboring under the burden of a wooden box about two feet long and one foot wide. Viv took it off his hands, and he directed her with a paw to the pantry, where she set it down and removed the lid. Inside, packed in straw, was ice, she asked. The ratkin gestured at the cold pit, where they kept the cream and several baskets of eggs. Colder, keeps longer. Where did you get it, though? Must be from the Gnomish Gasworks, said Tandry. Thimble nodded enthusiastically. I don't know what that is. It's a big building on the river, steam and water powered. I'm not clear on the mechanics, but somehow they can produce ice. Huh. Viv glanced over at the coffee machine. Yes, I'm not surprised. How much did this cost you, Thimble? He shrugged. Well, from now on, we'll pay for it, you hear? He nodded agreeably and began transferring the chunks of now melting ice into the cold pit. She glanced across the room. Actually, this gives me an idea. Viv slid into the booth across from Hemington, who looked up distractedly from his research. She pushed a mug over to him. He blanched and then quickly mustered a smile. Why, thank you, but as I've said, I don't really like- Yes, I know, hot drinks. She nudged it closer. He pulled it the rest of the way, and his eyebrows shot up as he examined the contents. Cold. A few small chunks of ice bobbed in the coffee, and sweat purled on the mug. He took a tentative sip, licked his lips, and gave the drink a considering look. You know, that's not bad. Great, said Viv, lacing her fingers together and leaning forward on the table. I have a little favor to ask of you. His gaze immediately became suspicious. He made to slide the drink back, but then had another quick sip. A favor? Actually, it might help you. You've already set up your ward here, right? I have, but I assure you it's- She waved a hand at him. I'm sure it's fine, haven't noticed. What I want to know is, can you set another one? Another? Yes, for a person, a specific person. Hemington pursed his lips. Well, certainly. You understand I'd need some very precise information and materials to manage that, but yes, that's something I could do. You have someone in mind? I do, said Viv. By the time they'd finished talking, Hemington had drained his mug and was crunching the ice between his teeth. Viv joined Tandry behind the machine. 
So, I'm pretty sure we have a new drink to add to the menu. But we're going to need regular deliveries of ice, I think. Tandry smiled at her. Still room on the board. Then her smile fell away. Viv glanced at the door, and there stood Kellen, again wearing an expression that begged to meet a fist. He eased up to the counter and leaned on it in a familiar way that made Viv's skin itch. Hello, Tandry. Tandry didn't respond, and Viv waited, unsure whether the woman wanted her to intervene or not. Kellen didn't seem to notice, or didn't care about, Tandry's icy glare, and continued, circling one finger on the countertop. It's so nice to be able to see you whenever I want. I'd really like for us to see more of each other, and I think that now- Please leave, Tandry said tightly. He looked annoyed at being interrupted. You know, there's no call to be rude. I'm just making a friendly gesture. If you're free this evening, then I could- She asked you to leave, said Viv. Now, I'm telling you to. The kid glared at her with undisguised loathing. You can't tell me a shitting thing, he spat. Just try to lay a hand on me and the madrigal- Oh, didn't you know? Viv interrupted him. The madrigal and I had a little meeting. She and I came to a bit of an understanding. Did nobody tell you? Callan laughed, but he couldn't help sounding and looking a bit unsure, especially at her special emphasis on the word she. Right, continued Viv, and one thing I remember particularly well from our little chat was how much she hated assholes. You know, some people might consider any of her crew to be assholes just because of the nature of the business, but I don't think that way. She gestured at black blood on the wall. I've got respect for people who have to get their hands dirty to get things done. That's just work. Now, it takes something special to be a real asshole, and I think she and I are of the same mind. She held his gaze, then crossed her arms. You aren't an asshole, are you, Kellen? I think she'd be pretty disappointed if that was the case. He opened and closed his mouth several times, tried to gather his dignity, and then turned and strode stiffly out of the shop. Viv didn't say anything to Tandry and went right back to her work, but out of the corner of her eye, she caught the barest curve of a smile on the woman's lips. At closing, they took down the menu again, and Tandry revised it. Legends and lattes, menu, coffee, exotic aroma and rich, full-bodied roast, one-half bit. Latte, a sophisticated and creamy variation, one bit. Any drink iced, a refined twist, add one-half bit. Cinnamon roll, heavenly frosted cinnamon pastry, four bits. Thimblets, crunchy nut and fruit delicacies, two bits. Finer tastes for the working gent and lady. As Viv watched Tandry chalk in some snowflakes with a flourish, she felt that old crawling sensation on her back and couldn't help but glance over her shoulder. She half expected to find Fennis's humorless smile at the window. An old saying came to her unbidden. The poisoned cup foretells the poisoned blade. 20. As Viv returned from a lunchtime break, thumbing through a chapbook she'd bought, she paused near the table out front. She glanced at the one-sided chess game in progress, then at the little old gnome studying it. This seat taken? she asked. Not at all. He smiled at her and gestured toward the chair. Viv slid it out and sat, placing her book on the table. She offered her hand over the top of the board, 
mindful not to upset the pieces. Viv, she said. Durius, replied the old man, shaking her forefinger with his tiny knobbly hand. He carefully sipped the drink before him. I must say, I do enjoy your wonderful establishment. Real gnomish coffee. Never thought I'd taste it again. In my day, you couldn't get it so easily, even in the bigger cities like Radius or Fathom. And to find it here, well, a rare pleasure. That's good to hear, said Viv, glad it passes muster. Oh, indeed. And these pastries, he waved one of Thimble's confections. Uninspired pairing. Can't take any credit for that, but I'll pass it on. Darius crunched into the thimblet and closed his eyes in appreciation. So, said Viv, shifting in her seat. You don't have to answer, but my friend in there is going crazy over your chess game. She pointed at Tandry, who was looking at her suspiciously from behind the counter. Really? She swears you never move the other pieces. She's been trying to catch you doing it and says she never has. Oh, I definitely move them. The gnome nodded. You do? Certainly, but I did it a long time ago, he said, as if that made any sense at all. I'm sorry? You know, said Durius, without clarifying in any way whatsoever, I used to be an adventurer like you. I'm also a retiree now. I, uh... You found a very peaceful place here, a special place. You've planted something and now it's blossoming. Very nice, a good spot to rest. My thanks to you for letting an old-timer shade under the branches of what you've grown. Viv's mouth hung open. She hadn't a clue how to respond to that. The moment passed as Durius cried, Ah, oh, there you are. Amity stalked around the corner and deigned to allow the gnome to scratch behind her enormous ears. She stared balefully at Viv, then curled around the base of the table. The gnome rested his feet on her back where they were lost in tangles of sooty fur. What a marvelous animal, he said, with real admiration. Certainly is, murmured Viv. Uh, well, I didn't mean to interrupt your game. I'll let you get back to it. Not at all, said Durius. You go tend to what you're growing. When she returned to the counter with her book, Tandry eyed it approvingly, then whispered, So, what's going on with the chess game? Did he say? He did say, but I'm not sure he answered. Viv replied. Around noon, Thimble scampered off after making a series of gestures that neither Viv nor Tandry could interpret. He obviously had some errand in mind, and Viv waved him on his way. He returned later with a small parcel bound in twine, and when there was a lull at the front, he placed it on the counter, delicately untying it. He folded away the paper to reveal several rough, dark slabs and chunks of something brown that gleamed with a soft waxiness. What's that, Thimble? asked Tandry. The baker broke off a sliver, popping it into his mouth and gesturing for them to do the same. Viv and Tandry each snapped off a small piece. Viv sniffed hers. The earthy smell was slightly sweet, almost coffee-like. She put the fragment on her tongue, and when she closed her lips, it melted, spreading throughout her mouth. She tasted dark bitterness, but with subtler flavors of vanilla, citrus, and in the far back, a hint of something that reminded her of wine. It was bold, both creamy and harsh, but alluring. Honestly, Viv doubted you could eat very much of it. That bitterness would overwhelm you. But the old spice seller was right. The kid was a genius, 
and she couldn't wait to see what he had planned. Tandri thoughtfully rolled the taste around in her mouth. Okay, I'll ask again, because I have to know. What is this? He leaned forward, whiskers a-quiver. Chocolate. You've got something in mind, asked Viv. He nodded and produced another of his lists. Shorter than before, but with a few requested pots and pans. Viv squatted to stare him in the eyes. Thimble, anytime you have any big ideas, you can assume I'm on board, all right? His velvety face wrinkled in a pleased expression that squeezed his eyes nearly shut. It didn't take long for Viv to gather Thimble's requested items. When she returned to the shop, she drew up short on the threshold, a sack over one arm. Kellen was back, standing stiffly before the counter. Viv's expression hardened, and she prepared to drop the sack, pick him up by the back of the neck, and haul him bodily into the street. Tandri caught her eye, though, and gave a small shake of her head. The succubus passed a folded waxed paper sack across to the young man, who moved as though to snatch it, but mastered himself, reaching for it gently. For the madrigal, said Tandri. Kellen nodded jerkily like a marionette and said in a strangled voice, Thank you, Ta miss. He turned with the sack in hand, startling when he saw Viv. Recovering quickly, he rushed out the door. Huh, said Viv, watching him go. I'll be twice damned. As they prepared to lock up, Tandry went into the pantry and returned with a linen-covered handbasket that Viv hadn't noticed before. What's that? Tandry opened her mouth to speak, then fidgeted the basket to her other arm and finally said, What do you have planned for the evening? Planned? Nothing. I'm usually bushed and turn in early. A bite to eat first, maybe. Oh, good. Uh, I mean, I thought that, given how things went, we should celebrate, if you'd like. Viv wasn't sure she'd ever seen Tandry properly nervous before. She had to admit, it was charming. Celebrate? I guess I hadn't thought about it. Sure, the madrigal isn't a big worry now, but I don't think it'll take Fennis long to figure out a different angle to- She saw Tandry's expression grow pained and caught herself, suddenly feeling very stupid. Um, I mean, yes, uh, celebration sounds good. What did you have in mind? Nothing fancy, said Tandry. There's a little park above the river, west of Ackers. Sometimes I go there in the evenings. Used to, I mean. The view is nice, and I, um, I packed some things. So, a sort of picnic. Ugh, that sounds childish, she winced. And not like a celebration at all. It sounds wonderful, said Viv. Tandry recovered some of the pieces of a smile. It was a nice view. The spot wasn't so much a park as a groomed area featuring a statue of some long-robed Ackers alumnus whose countenance was undoubtedly more imposing in stone than it ever was in life. Cherry trees and hedges ringed him, and he presided over a little rise above the river. The vantage provided a lovely sunset panorama of the university's copper steeples. Little twirls of smoke dotted the rooftops like freshly extinguished candles. They sat on the grass, and Tandry unpacked some bread and cheese, a small crock of preserves, some hard sausage, and a bottle of brandy. I forgot glasses, she said. I don't mind if you don't, replied Viv. It's really not much. Viv opened the brandy, took a swig, and passed the bottle to Tandry. Feels like a celebration to me, 
Tandry took a solid glug as well, while Viv sliced the sausage and slathered some preserves on the bread. They ate and drank and talked about nothing much as some birds came to roost in the cherry trees. The sun drew down and the chill of the river crept up in a slow, shivering wave. They shared an easy silence in the waning light, and then Viv asked, Why'd you leave the university? Tandry looked at her. Not, why did you go in the first place? Viv shrugged. I wasn't surprised by that at all. The other woman looked back out over the university steeples and thought for a while. Viv guessed she wouldn't answer and regretted asking. I wasn't born here. I fled here. Viv almost said something, but waited. Nobody was chasing me, if that's what you're wondering. I was fleeing the trap of what I am. This. Tandry touched the tip of one of her horns, and her tail lashed. I thought, a university. That's a place where ideas are challenged, where what you do matters, not where you came from or what you came from. A place where logic and math and science would prove that I'm more than what I was born to. But it seems I take that with me wherever I go. You attended, though. Tandry nodded grimly. I did. I scrimped together the tuition, and I was granted admission. Nobody stopped me. They took my money, absolutely. There are no bylaws keeping someone like me out. But. But it didn't matter, not really. What's the saying? They followed the letter of the law, but not the spirit. She sighed. The spirit was unenlightened. Viv thought about Kellen and nodded. So I fled again. They allowed the silence to resume, and Viv passed Tandry the brandy. She drank more deeply, and when she wiped her mouth, she looked over at Viv. No pearls of wisdom? Nope. Tandry's eyebrows rose. But I will say, Viv glanced over to regard Tandry solemnly. Fuck those motherfuckers. Tandry's surprised laugh startled the birds from the cherry trees. Viv carried the basket while walking Tandry home again, this time all the way to her room. Neither was unsteady, they hadn't finished the brandy, but they were both pleasantly warm and liquid. Tandry opened the door at the top of the stairs and after a moment's hesitation, ushered Viv inside. Viv stooped to keep from banging her head on the low ceiling. The tiny, single-room apartment featured a tidy cot, some shelves bursting with books, a tasseled carpet, and a small vanity. Stayed here when I went to Acker's, said Tandry, waving a hand at the room. She took the basket from Viv and set it on the vanity. I just never bothered to move. She looked up at Viv, who could feel the warm glow that sometimes peeked out when Tandry was at her least cautious. But she didn't think it was responsible for the prickling warmth that burned deeper inside herself. The brandy, surely, was the culprit. Viv, began Tandry, but her gaze dropped and she lost what she was going to say. Viv didn't let her find it again. Good night, Tandry. She was very conscious of the size and roughness of her hand as she reached out and squeezed Tandry's shoulder. And thank you. I hope I never make you flee. And then, before her friend could say anything else, Viv left, quietly closing the door behind her. 21.
Viv and Tandry moved through the morning routine, easing around one another with low murmurs, careful not to touch, each exquisitely aware of the space the other occupied. Viv acted with unthinking economy, brewing, serving, greeting, and registering very little. Neither of them noticed Thimble's industry with his new cookware and ingredients until the smell of melting chocolate permeated the shop. At a tug on Viv's shirt, she looked down to see their baker anxiously clasping his flour-caked hands together. Oh, hey, Thimble. On the back table, golden crescents cooled in neat rows atop several racks. Thimble selected one and offered it to her. She took it with a nod. Flaky and yellow, the pastry's buttery layers folded over in gentle curves. The smell was gorgeous. She took a bite that almost melted in her mouth, at once rich with butter and impossibly light. Comparing these to a loaf of bread was like comparing silk to burlap. This is incredible, she managed. It was so good, in fact, that she only hesitantly followed up with, but this can't have the, what was it? Mm, chocolate, supplied Tandry, as she pinched off another corner and popped it into her mouth. She made a small sound in her throat and closed her eyes as she chewed. Thimble made a get-on-with-it gesture with his hands, his impatience evident. Viv shrugged, took another bigger bite, and found the molten core of chocolate inside. The taste was nothing like what she'd sampled yesterday. Sweeter, deeper, richer, creamy and decadent with a subtle spice. Eight hells, Thimble, she managed. Her mouth sang with the flavor of it. How do you keep doing this? She stared at the pastry in surprise and then immediately had another bite. Viv glanced over to find Tandry transfixed, chocolate smearing her lips, eyes huge and luminous. Thimble, you might not know this, but I, that is, we, Tandry's tail swept in a head-to-toe gesture. We respond strongly to all kinds of sensations, including taste, and, well, Viv experienced that warm pulse again and Thimble must have too, because he blinked and shivered. Whatever this is, it's just about incapacitating. The succubus sighed appreciatively. You were right before, Thimble, said Viv. We have got to get you a bigger kitchen. Tandry considered the available space. Two stoves? Push out the wall? I'll ask Cal. Viv glanced back at their chef. In the meantime, what do you call these? She polished hers off licking her fingers for every last tender flake and chocolatey smear. The ratkin shrugged and took one himself, testing it with a squeeze and nibbling one end. Leave it to me, said Tandry, around another huge bite. Legends and lattes. Menu. Coffee. Exotic aroma and rich, full-bodied roast. One half bit. Latte. A sophisticated and creamy variation. One bit. Any drink iced. A refined twist. Add one half bit. Cinnamon roll. Heavenly frosted cinnamon pastry. Four bits. Thimblets. Crunchy nut and fruit delicacies. Two bits. Midnight crescents. Buttery fold over with a sinful center. Four bits. Finer tastes for the working gent than lady. The quiet tension between her and Tandry had evaporated, and Viv almost thought she'd imagined their hazy morning dance. Thimble's crescents predictably sold out within the hour, and he was already at work on a new batch. 
Viv preoccupied herself with the restrictions of their small kitchen. What might Cal suggest once she had the chance to ask for his thoughts? She kept glancing at the auto-circulator above and thinking that the answer might be nothing she expected. The usual hem? she asked when he stepped up to the counter. Hemington leaned closer. I do wish you wouldn't call me that, he said in an undertone. She smiled, her eyes on her work. Mmm, is that a yes then? What I wanted to say is that the ward is nearly set, and yes, an iced coffee please. Oh, it is? On the house then? It should cover the premises and a few additional feet in a rough circle. How will I know if it's gone off? That's the last detail. He held his left hand out on the counter. I'll need yours, please. Viv didn't hesitate and placed her much larger one down, mirroring him. He tapped with the first two fingers of his right hand on his left and made several curling gestures and complex twists. A blue light flared. Before the glow faded, he touched palm to palm with Viv and there was a brief fizzing like beer bubbles against one's lip. That's it? she asked as he broke contact. That's it. If the ward is triggered, you'll feel a sort of gentle tug in that hand. It should be enough to wake you. A gentle tug, huh? Now, bear in mind, the ward only functions once. I'd have to reset it if it were triggered, but, well, there it is. Once should be enough. She slid his drink across to him. Thanks, Hem. He opened his mouth to object, but shook his head instead. You're welcome, Viv. He nodded and took his drink back to his table. What was that about? asked Tandry. Just a little insurance. The following afternoon, Pendry reappeared in the shop, this time with his original bizarre loot. Viv nodded encouragingly, glad to see him. So, um, he said, I'll stop if you don't like it, or if, if anyone complains. He sucked his breath through his teeth as though bracing for a blow. It'll be fine, kid. Here, start with one of these. She handed him a midnight crescent, and he took it with a confused look. Pointing to his instrument, Viv said, Also, I have to ask, what exactly is that? Oh, this? Well, um, it's, it's a thomic lute? It's, well, they're sort of new. He pointed at the gray slab with silver pins beneath the strings. See, the auric pickup sort of gathers in the sound as it, uh, well, when the strings vibrate, there's an, um, actually, I don't know how it works. He finished lamely. It's all right, said Viv, and waved him in. Knock him dead. Figuratively, please. Blinking, he wandered into the dining area while taking a tentative bite of the pastry, and Viv smiled. No sound arose for several minutes, and she figured he was finishing his food. Then she forgot about him as a line of customers formed in front of the counter. When he finally began to play, she glanced up in surprise. The lute wailed that same ragged, buzzing tone, but the music he played was more delicate than before, subtly picked with the slow lope of a ballad. An additional presence underpinned, as though the notes reverberated in a larger space with a thicker, warmer feeling. Also, she could swear the result was quieter than his first aborted attempt. Viv didn't know much about music, but now that she'd grown used to the kid's occasional visits, the leap to this confident modern sound didn't seem so far anymore. He'd been bridging the gap this whole time and taken the obvious next step. 
Pendry's altogether unexpected style was right, especially here. She and Tendry exchanged bemused smiles. Viv noticed that Tendry's tail was subtly, metronomically swaying behind her. Viv figured that was endorsement enough. As the week wore on, Viv lived in constant anticipation of phantom tugs at her right palm. Hemington had explained that it would be gentle, but she imagined it as a fishhook embedded in her flesh that would yank sharply, jerking at her hand. Nothing happened, though. Her skin tingled as she envisioned it, but eventually, the feeling of wary expectation faded. Laney dropped by with increasing frequency, making many offers to trade recipes with their baker. Viv always deferred to Thimble. The little old woman's exasperation with his gestures and anxious blinking left Viv both amused and a smidge guilty for foisting her off on him. She also thought his hand signals were at their most cryptic only when confronted with Laney. The old woman always bought something, though. The dire cat appeared with more regularity. Viv sometimes felt the prickle of Amity's regard and turned to find her perched in the loft like a sooty gargoyle, surveying the diners with disdain. Tandry tried using treats to tempt the animal into claiming the bed they'd made for her, but Amity only ate them, made very deliberate eye contact, and then sauntered away with her tail high. Viv discovered she didn't mind having a watchful monstrosity around. Not one bit. Viv and Tandry settled back into a comfortable equilibrium. There were no further picnics or walks home. Viv harbored a wistful ache that she didn't examine too closely, and an almost cowardly relief that Tandry didn't mention their evening at the park. They stayed busy, and the days brimmed with good smells and unexpected music and companionable work. Her hopes for the shop had been exceeded in every regard. That was enough, wasn't it? Tandry startled Viv by dropping some of her art materials on the table, including a bottle of ink, a slim brush, and one of the mugs. I have an idea, she said. Viv looked up from wiping down the machine. I'm listening. So I think about this a lot. My first drink, I have it while I work. I take a sip when I want, and I make my cup stretch through the morning. I love that. Viv nodded. Yeah, sure, I do the same. Your customers? They don't have that. Our customers, said Viv, but nodded again. Okay, I'm with you. Well, what if they could take it with them? I've wished for that before, but she shrugged. Never figured out a way to do it. So if you have, we sell them a mug, and she turned the cup. In Tandry's flowing script, she'd written, Viv. We add their name. They can leave it here behind the counter if they like, but they own the mug. They can be on their way with a drink in hand whenever they want. All they have to do is bring it back. I think that's perfect. Viv rubbed her neck. Honestly, I feel like a bit of a fool for not thinking of it myself. You probably would have, eventually. There was that warm pulse again, increasingly recognizable. Viv was suddenly awash in an old feeling of fraught potential, a critical instant that hinged on the movement of a blade, the placement of a foot, a moment of trust extended or withheld. Failure to act was as much a decision as any other. You know, Tandry, this place is really becoming as much yours as mine. You're making it yours. Tandry looked dismayed. I'm sorry, I- Viv winced and scrambled to explain. That's not what I mean. 
I mean, it wouldn't be what it is without you. I'm glad it's becoming yours. And I want to make sure you know that, that, she fumbled her words and fell silent. Into that confused pause, Tendry murmured, you don't have to worry. I'm not going anywhere. Viv suddenly found herself lost and alone on a dark road, abandoned by whatever guiding light had led her this far. I, that's good, but what I wanted to say was, really, what did she want to say? Had she grown so complacent that she'd trust the outcome of this conversation to some mythical stone? Wasn't Tandry more important than that? Didn't she demand Viv's truest words, offered unambiguously? The darkness bristled with dangers, some perhaps even worth risking. Tandry straightened and forced a quick smile. So, I'll just add this to the board then, all right? That's, yeah, we should definitely do that, Viv lamely replied. Tandry backed away for them both, and Viv couldn't decide if she was relieved or disappointed. 22. Thimble squeaked for emphasis, pointing at a woodcut print in the gnomish catalog Viv had spread on the countertop. The ratkin stood on a stool to get a proper view. The stove depicted in the advertisement was twice as wide as theirs, with dual extra-large ovens and fireboxes, and a back panel with temperature control gauges and knobs. Viv found it difficult to make out much detail from the woodcut, but the look was very modern, and the listed features set Thimble's eyes sparkling with longing. You're sure? She raised her eyebrows at the price. She'd come to Thune with a nice nest egg, but renovations, equipment costs, and specialty food orders had whittled it down. The beans she regularly ordered from Azimuth came dearly, too. A new stove would nearly wipe out her remaining funds, although she was pretty sure they'd recover it in a few months, given the popularity of Thimble's baked goods. The ratkin nodded decisively, but at her expression he hesitated, and then reluctantly indicated a less expensive model farther down the page. Now, Thimble, she said, pointing at him, the best deserve the best, and that's you. I'll have Cal make sure we can install it, and I'll put in an order. Her gaze snapped up when she heard a familiar voice speaking to Tandry. Here for this week's delivery, and let me see... One of the lattes, please, my dear. Lack stood opposite, humming as he stared at the menu board. While Tandry brewed his drink, Viv retrieved the reserved sack of rolls from underneath the counter and, after a moment's thought, added two of Thimble's crescents as well. She gave the man a slight nod as she passed the bag over. Let me know what the Madrigal thinks of this week's tribute. I'll do so. Lack returned the nod, accepted his drink, and went quietly on his way. Yes, will there be music today? The girl was young and looked a little breathless and windblown. We're never sure, said Viv with a shrug. Pendry comes and goes. Oh, the girl seemed disappointed, but covered it quickly. Anything I can get you? Uh, no, thank you. So you don't know when he might be back? Viv thought she was trying, pretty unsuccessfully, to downplay her interest in the answer to that question. Afraid not. After the girl left, Tandry arched a brow. That's the third one this week. Viv gazed thoughtfully after Pendry's admirer. You thinking what I'm thinking? You pin him down. I'll make the sign.
The next time Penry darkened the doorstep, Viv thought his bearing was a little more assured. He nodded cheerfully, comfortable enough to head to his impromptu stage without permission. Hey, Pendry, she said, catching him before he'd disappeared around the corner. Got a second? Uh, sure. The old worry started to creep back into his expression, so Viv forged ahead. You still don't have your hat out for coin, do you? Well, no, I just, just like to play. It feels sort of like begging to ask if my dad ever heard tell of me. He broke off, grimacing hugely. What if I paid you? More like a wage, maybe. He looked surprised. But why would you? I, I already, well, I'd need you to be a little more regular, of course. Regular? Say four times a week, every other day, and at the same time, every time. Maybe five in the evening, six bits a session. How's that sound? Henry looked disbelieving. Well, I'd, you'd really pay me to play. Yep, that's about the size of it. She extended a hand. Yes, ma'am, he said, pumping it vigorously with his own. Oh, and Pendry, you should still put your hat out. By the end of the day, another sign hung outside the shop, painted in Tandry's flowing script. Live music, Monde, Taude, Ventus, Frede, five in the evening. Viv started awake at a painful tearing sensation in her right palm, the skin splitting and peeling away. She was up in an instant, the bedroll thrown open, searching her hand for the wound that must be there. Her flesh was smooth and undamaged. The feeling persisted, though, lancing up her forearm. Viv's instincts had not yet entirely fled her, despite the months of inaction, and she lunged for Blackblood's accustomed resting spot beside her bedroll. Of course, it wasn't there, instead hanging uselessly on the kitchen wall, tangled in garlands. Hemington's ward. Fennis. The elf must have heard her flinging the bedding aside, the creak of the boards. Mustn't he? She crept to the ladder anyway, hunched and shifting her weight carefully from bare foot to bare foot. The tugging, ripping feeling in her hand abated. She heard nothing from below. When she peered over the edge, a scant bar of moonlight blued the dining area. The chandelier loomed almost in front of her face, and beneath she could see the softened silhouette of the big table, the dark slabs of the booths surrounding it, the sketchy strokes of the flagstones. Her night vision wasn't particularly good, but she held her breath, staring hard for any hint of motion. A minute passed. Another. Then the ghost of a scent something foreign under the pervasive aroma of coffee, a faint but recognizable perfume, floral and ancient. He was cloaked and hooded, but it was him. Not so much as the rustle of cloth betrayed his presence, but Fennis had always been impossibly stealthy, usually to the advantage of their party. Now on the receiving end, Viv marveled at his noiseless advance with a grim new respect. She had to squint hard to track his motion, but she saw him pause at the end of the big table. The glimmer of one pale hand appeared, gently resting on its surface. The scalvered stone lay hidden directly below. His head tilted inside his cowl as though listening or using some elven sense Viv didn't share. There was no point in waiting. She leapt, landing heavily. There was no point in stealth either. Hello, Fennas, she said. 
He didn't even have the grace to appear startled. Turning smoothly toward her, he folded back his cowl, and a pale yellow light burst into being in his cupped left hand. His face was illuminated from below, as infuriatingly mild as ever. The elf nodded to her as though he were greeting her at his own doorstep. Viv, I'm intrigued that you heard me, he said in a tone that was anything but interested. There wasn't a shred of shame either. Had a little help, she shrugged. I don't suppose there's any point in asking why you're here. Of course not, and I imagine the guilt has been preying on you. Guilt, Viv asked incredulously. What in the eight hells do you mean, guilt? The elf sighed as though her obtuseness disappointed him. You didn't deal fairly with us, Viv. I had my suspicions from the beginning, you know. You were so evasive. It was a fair cut, said Viv levelly, especially for what amounted to rumor and chance. The Scalvert's hoard was plenty to balance the scale. I don't agree, he replied silkily. She found his patient, reasonable voice incredibly irritating. Then his lips wrinkled in uncharacteristic annoyance. For the first time, his mask of cold indifference slipped. You were hardly subtle. All that muscle and not half the wit for guile. Was it taxing for you, the plotting and planning? Clever Viv untangling a fabulous mystery. Why, you must have thought you were the first. How amusing. Then, with the stone in hand, off you scurried as fast as you could, afraid you'd let something slip if you lingered too long. Or perhaps the shame sent you packing. Shame, Viv laughed. You're full of shit, Finnis. Am I? Tell me then, do the others know? That I made a fool's bet based on a few lines from a song? No, but not because I was ashamed, Finnis. Embarrassed is closer to the truth. He gestured expansively at the building. A fool's bet? It seems not. Viv ground her teeth. A deal's a deal, and I kept my end of the bargain. You really need it, Fennis? What do you think it'll do for you? Or are you defending a principle by creeping around in the night to take what's mine? Hmm, a principle. Something like that, he murmured. His eyes flicked to her greatsword on the wall. When you put that blade away, never believe you exchanged it for scruples. I figure I've talked enough. Do what you're going to do, and I guess we'll see what happens. Oh, Viv, it's a shame that Fennis leapt suddenly, gracelessly backward as an enormous sooty shadow lunged over the table, narrowly missing him with a swipe of fearsome claws. Amity landed with predatory grace and whirled on the elf with a hitching snarl. God's be damned thing, spat Fennis. The dire cat stalked toward him with slow, deliberate steps, her muzzle bunched up above impressive fangs. Viv hadn't even known the beast was in the building. How had she missed her? Amity's growl throbbed louder, and then Fennis ghosted past with a nimbleness even the cat couldn't match. In an instant, he was out the door and had vanished into the night. The dire cat stared after him for a moment, then lazily blinked her enormous green eyes. She padded back to the pillow and blankets in the far corner, circled on them, kneaded them with her claws, and then settled back down to sleep again. Viv cautiously knelt and stroked the big cat's fur. The vibration of her purr rattled all the way up to Viv's shoulder. When in the eight hells did you start actually sleeping here? 
she wondered aloud. And why didn't I see her before? Either way, Viv was going to make sure there was extra cream on hand, and maybe a nice joint of beef. Despite the sure knowledge that Fennis couldn't have disturbed the stone, he plainly hadn't had time, Viv couldn't sleep without reassuring herself. She checked up and down the street before shutting and relocking the front door. Pushing aside the table, she squatted and turned over the flagstone in order to stroke the scalvert stone where it lay. The shop, Tandry, Thimble, Cal, and now Amity. The way each week seemed to flower into the next, budding into the fulfillment of a heretofore unknown need. Up till this moment, speculation over whether her fortune was due to the scalvert stone had been almost academic. Why probe a good thing too closely? Now, the question seemed like it always should have been, what would happen if she lost the stone? If it truly was the root of everything she had grown, then if it were cut away, would the plant wither and die? Or could it continue on? And if so, for how long? She thought about the last few months, and she especially thought about Tandry and the Spartan room upstairs. Maybe her friend was right. Maybe the shop wasn't her life. Maybe she should be prepared to lose it. Without it, though, what was she, really? She could only arrive at one answer. Alone. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy Legends and Lattes wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.